Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we are down under. This is our first visit to Sydney. We're with a longtime hasher, over 40 years, though she tells me she's 39, started in the Philippines. Welcome today on the podcast, Maid Marion. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Let's get everybody to know you. When and where and how was your first hash? My first hash was in Manila in the Philippines in 1980. It was, I believe, the inaugural run for the ladies' hash at that time. So that was my very first run. I had, though, been aware of the hash when I I lived in Hong Kong before that, and my partner was running with the Hong Kong hash, and I was very, very envious, but I could never leave work in time to make the hash there. So when the opportunity came, when we moved to the Philippines and time freed up quite a lot, I took the opportunity then of starting the ladies' hash. Okay, so you founded, and what did you call the the club there in Manila when you started? Um, We called it Manila Ladies' Hash. There was a very strong men's hash. Uh, There was quite a lot of opposition to the ladies' hash. There was a move to perhaps make it a mixed hash, which I was really quite against because I felt that it, it would be, there were enough of us that we should have our own our own group, if you like. Uh, So uh, that was actually the very first hash. There's been people who've claimed that the mixed hash was the first hash, which came many years later, but Mm -hmm. actually the first ladies hash was 1980. Let me just ask you about Hong Kong. Did you know through your partner the other men's hashers in Hong Kong at that time? I knew a few of them. I didn't really associate with them. I suppose, you know, we're all busy in our own lives and doing other things, but it just looked like such fun. You know, they would run up to the peak and be exhausted and have a wow the time, and I wanted a piece of it. (laughs) Nice. So what was involved in starting this? There weren't that many women's hashes in existence in 1980. I think we know of at least a couple around the world. But what was involved in finding people and recruiting for that first hash? The way it started was my partner was at the men's hash one night and a young woman called Marie Roberts turned up and she worked at the Australian Embassy and she turned up to the men's hash. The guys were horrified. My partner was very sympathetic to her because she was a fellow Aussie. He said, look, you know, I've got a girlfriend who feels the same way you do, that girls should be able to run with the guys, but the guys won't have it. And he said, I will put you in touch with her and maybe you can work something out. Marie contacted me later and said she didn't feel a bit uncomfortable with the guys. Uh, Through her, there were another couple of girls at the Australian Embassy who were interested. They knew another couple of people. I knew a few people in my village, which was Dasmarinas. We got about 12 of us, 12 people who were dedicated enough to not make this a failure because to actually get it off the ground, there was a lot of opposition and serious opposition. So the guys... And some of the guys' wives were not happy. They wanted it to be a mixed hash, if anything. 
Uh, they were not happy about women running around in the bush or in the streets in shorts. In Manila at that time, in the 1980s, you know, really it wasn't sort of the dumb thing, if you like. Right. But, you know, you can't run around the streets in trousers. So it was either that or nothing. Right. Okay. So you started with about a dozen women. Mm -hmm. And had any of them been on a hash before? I think a couple or maybe only one really Mm -hmm in that particular group mm-hmm. had an experience, you know, in another um, overseas posting with something like that, but not really enough experience to really help lay the foundations. The person who really helped me get it off the ground was my partner, who he's now Scud, but at the time he was Roger the Dodger okay. uh, in, in the Philippines. And he helped us lay the trail, uh, give us some foundations of what we needed to do about the checks and the check backs and also helped with the fact that, you know, it's also a social club. So afterwards, right. you want some fun. So we had party. I mean, we all had big houses and maids. And so we had a party back at my house and uh, food and drink. And everyone thought it was wonderful. So, of course, run number two was even bigger than run number one. <laughs> Great. So Roger the Dodger mentored you and kind of taught you the ropes of how to do the successful trail part. And then did other traditions come for singing or down downs or circle? Did you have any of that? I don't think we got into any of that at that time. We later on, and I would say maybe, you know, six months into it another lady joined us who was an English woman she had hashed before she introduced some more traditions if you like so we became a bit more rambunctious then (laughs) but up until that time we were fairly you know we were just trying to find our feet if you like you know we were gaining new members all the time because a lot of the fellows they had partners who started to become quite interested in joining each week we would have help from one, at least one of the guys, usually two, in helping runs. And if we were running in the bush, which was most of the time, we had to have a couple of guys with us. And in fact, that became almost mandatory that we would have a few of the hash guys there. And they would be much more in tune with what we needed to be careful about. And I don't mean in being kidnapped or anything, more like territory that was dangerous to run in. Right. Uh, so we, we usually had a couple of guys. The guys were happy to assist, but the opposition we got was from running on the Monday night, which was the main night of men's hash, because they were you know running on their hash. And for the girls to be running at the same time, meant that we were stealing a few of the guys every Monday night. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, yeah, but it was a free night for the couples. Uh, one person, unless they needed, if they could, you had babysitters if needed, and it was a free well, night. Well, they all, they all had nannies, yeah. you know. So, you know, that it, it really was no issue. At that time in the Philippines, if you were working there as an expat, you had nannies and maids and everything, drivers driving to the run and drinking the beer cup dry was no problem because the driver for the most part drove you home. Yeah. Let me get a little bit of a feel for how that startup went. You talked about six months and you had a, an experienced hasher join that injected some more traditions. 
Was there some locals that joined? Was it expat only? No, very soon. And in fact, even on the first run, we had a couple of Filipinas who joined us Mm. and they were great fun. They got right into it. We always had locals with us. They loved it. And they were great because especially if we were running out of town, you know, they would have uncles or cousins (laughs) You know, you know they could they could help. So we always had local girls, and some of their connections were invaluable. Wow. Um, we had a lot of support. We everybody wanted to see the girls out running. I mean, I thought it was a real novelty. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a great success. Apart from the opposition, just really early and ongoing success. How long were you there with your oh, started I- up hash? Well, I started the hash fairly soon after I arrived, and we were there nearly four years. Wow. So you did probably 200 trails in those four years? Was it most weeks? Every week, every Every Monday night, yeah. Yeah. And we had a T-shirt for nearly every run. Oh, my gosh. Because I had a lot of time on my hand, and so I would go to the various restaurants and say, you know, we're a group of running girls, and each week we run, we look for... a a new place to have dinner afterwards and a few drinks are you interested in having you know 20 pretty girls in your restaurant and they'd all go oh yeah 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 (laughs) and um and i they'd say what happens and i'd say well a lot of restaurants buy us a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt and we get them printed and you just have to pay for them you know they're a cost of a couple of dollars each that was all for them they'd say that's great because they get the name of their restaurant printed on the back right and uh, we would have new t-shirts printed all the time with the run on the front and maybe the name of the hairs and the restaurant on the back that we'd go to the restaurant and actually I don't know that we ever paid for the meals (laughs) (laughs) And and then we also had a beer truck, but the beer truck was provided by a moving company called Crown Pacific Moving. It was run by an Aussie. His wife, she was Indonesian, Layla. He said to us, why don't I just give you free beer like I do? You know, he makes the guys pay, but he said, I'll give it to you for free. (laughs) This is the most successful startup hash I've ever heard of. It was amazing. So, you know, the beer truck would arrive with the guys to serve the beer afterwards and it would be icy cold. After we'd had our bucket after the run, they would go and then we would shoot off to whatever restaurant was going to cook us dinner. Um, <laughs> and and that would be pretty well for free. And then as the years rolled on, you know, we became much more confident. You know, our on-ons were phenomenal. I mean, we had nights where, you know, we would be dancing on the tables and the restaurant would be joining in. And, wow. and I, I, I mean, it was really just so much fun. And I'm, surp- I'm surprised you didn't just start doing it every night of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at that time, I guess everyone... You know, we didn't have a family, but a lot of people have family. A lot of people yeah. have busy social lives, and they were meant to be working as well. So. <laughs> and I think the big difference was between then and now. There was no internet. Right. The, distract, so, the distractions and options were, were... There was no one to post a picture on Facebook the next day to say that the ambassador's wife was dancing on the table. Right. And the level of people that we had in the ladies' hash was very high. 
So we did have people who ran with the latest house who were from various embassies who had quite high positions. If we'd had the internet then, it wouldn't have been the same. Right. It would have been quite tricky for them in a country like the Philippines. Right. And that's a great thing about hashing. We have people of all different status and accomplishment and standing and locals and everybody just mixes in a party. That's fantastic. That's right. And that certainly happened in the ladies hash. We had uh, girls in the ladies hash who, you know, life was probably fairly ordinary for them. Mm -hmm. But when they joined in with us, they were just one of the girls, one of the gang. Mm -hmm. And we really got to know a lot of the locals that way as mm -hmm. well. And we formed very strong bonds. I think women do as well, but we did. We were very protective over one another. Yeah, and it's an interesting dynamic you talk about as the club gain confidence. That certainly could be for perhaps local singles, personal confidence growing when you can be part of a group like that that is assertive and fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we did start to become aware of was, it, you know, it was getting a good reputation. We had we so when we started to get new people wanting to join, we had to vet them a little bit just to make sure they didn't think that this was um, a matchmaking. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> a matchmaking group with you know some some uh, wealthy foreign guys who would join in every week because you know we always had a couple of of the men's hash join us. Sure. Uh, well, and how did it grow over those four years from a dozen? Did the size change? Yeah, it did. It did change. Um, certainly we got, uh, there were runs where we had certainly over 30. I mean, we did keep records. They've seemed to have gone by the way with house moving over the years. We did have more guys joining from time to time because the opposition, and this seems crazy in this day and age, there were times when I would get home from the Monday night run and I would get a threatening phone call and that phone call was to ward us off. And it was, at the time, it was quite scary, but I was so offended by it that, you know, I pressed on and I kept it pretty much to my chest that I'd have threats against me. But that was the sort of opposition that we had. I had to rein in a few more guys from time to time just to make sure that no one had planned anything nasty. It's amazing. You were in this leadership and a key person to get this going. Is that something you'd done before or as an organizer or anything? No, it was something that I just felt really passionate about. And I felt it was it was the right thing to do it's, you know, it was wrong that somebody else should be able to dictate what night of the week you run, what you do. I mean, the opposition was really to us running on a Monday night, the same mm -hmm. night as the men's. Right. That was a big opposition. They were frightened that we would end up in the same areas of Manila that the guys were running. And because, you know, they'd go to the girly bars. Yeah, I'm sure that was a very frightening thought. Frightening for them. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I realised that and I said from the outset that, the one thing we didn't want to do was clash. Yeah. And so I would find out where their on-ons were and we would go to another area of Manila. I mean, there were plenty of different areas we could go to and we invariably didn't go down to this particular girly bar area that they went to. So that wasn't too hard, but that was one of the big oppositions from the guys. Truth is funnier than fiction and with these girly bars, 
on occasions when the guys went to different areas, we started to venture into these areas. And a lot of these clubs at the time were run by foreigners and a lot of foreign women, Americans, were running them. And, you know, we would sort of come into the bar and chat and we'd get on like a house on fire. They would think this group of women were fantastic. And so we would get lots of invitations to go back to these places. And some of these some of these women became really good friends of mine. And in fact, I would day off go and drive over and we'd have the day together, lots of laughs. I mean, that was the main opposition from the guys. And, and I think we were pretty good in that we avoided it as, as much as we could. Mm-hmm. Those first four years from 1980 for a few years, what was the safety level? Apart from knowing where to run and everything, was there any threat? Was it a safe place to be out? You had to be careful running in shorts in some areas. I mean, you had to be respectful Mm. of local. For the most part, we did that. So we would, if people talked to us, you know, we'd stop and chat and say who we were and people would stir us on, you know, over the years, people got to know this group and they'd all be yelling, on, on. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be in the middle of nowhere and you'd hear this, on, on. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you have any of the remaining collection of those early T-shirts? Oh, I think I might have one. I just know I kept them all. I just don't know whereabouts they've all disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I might have one. If I'm lucky. And for the, over the long term, looking back, since you've left, has that hash continued? When I left, I came back le- a year later and it was morphing into the mixed hash. Mm-hmm. Then I had kept in contact with a couple of people and it seemed to be completely a mixed hash. Mm-hmm. So I think what probably happened is the impetus died out of it a bit and because, you know, you really need someone to keep pushing it and come up with new members because in a transient society like that, people come and people go. There's always the expats who decide to stay and settle you know if they drift out of the picture a bit things start to fall apart and I think that's probably what happened and it, it ultimately became the mixed hash from what I can gather. During the time that you stayed what more recognizable hash traditions took place did you have a mismanagement committee did were there officer roles was there a circle any singing what kind of things that maybe now exist might started then? Yeah, so when we had the member who had been a a hash member before, and in fact, when we first started, we didn't have roles as such. I mean, I did the hash trash. I did the uh, list of who was going to do runs. And then I would start to pass the hash trash around to get other people to write different bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we had the new woman, I think Christine was her name from England, very strong personality. She sort of said, you know, you really need to have roles. And she said, you know, I've done this before. So she became hash grandmistress or something. Mm -hmm. And then after a time, she actually went back to England. And then I took that role on officially and started to give other, other people proper roles to help with you know the different tasks at hand which weren't onerous we all had so much time on our hands um, it was the life of Raleigh really 
Yeah, yeah, the 1980s expat life almost everywhere was like one of the good days. What about things like circle or singing? Any of those traditions besides dancing yeah, on we, the table? Yeah, we did. We did. You know, we did start to do to do that. I wouldn't even say it was risque. So more witty. You know, the, the English hashes, they're much more witty. The American hashes tend to be a bit more prude. Prude, yeah. So we would have adopted more the wittiness. And also because you're outside, you're in areas where if you're really seen to do the wrong thing, you could find yourself arrested and thrown out of the country. Mm-hmm. You have to be aware all the time that there's a ceiling on everything that you do and right. you have to do it with the blessing of the locals and uh, with some respect for you know where you went. I mean, us going turning up in shorts in a restaurant were, even at that time was pretty out there. Yeah, still pushing the boundary already. Still pushing the boundary. Yeah, but because we were we were young and reckless, yeah. <laughs> we didn't give it much thought. What about hash naming? Did that come into this club? Yeah, it did. So when I became grandmistress, I then started introducing names. And that's when I could see that you could end up with a really bad name. <laughs> and I so I said... As an example, my name is Robin, so we'll call me Maid Marian. <laughs> Robin Hood and Maid okay, Marian. Sure. And they all thought that was pretty fair. So I got in really early naming myself because I could see that I was going to end up with a terrible name. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, a few people have done that and gotten away with it, so good for you. Uh, you know, and then we started to name people, but we named them according to something appropriate. So they did something silly. You know, we gave our names out a bit more thoughtfully than, than I've seen done in the, in the since then. So the people had good, funny names that were more appropriate to their whatever they'd got up to. Yeah. This sounds like an outrageously fun, good, and successful story of starting a house. Anybody get hurt on trail? Were there any misadventures that you think yeah. of? Yeah, we, I mean, we always had, you know, there's always going to be someone who falls. But the beer truck, which always was pretty well there, you know, when we'd start around, it, the beer truck would, had usually arrived to set up. So we always had a couple of local guys, you know, they, we would have had bandages and that around if need be. We always had access to getting someone to, you know, a doctor. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know that we had any nurses in our group. Yeah, I I mean, that is one of the things when you're running in the bush and you have to be aware that you could come across a pole sticking out of the ground. And because uh-huh. you know, certainly, you know, I've been on interhashes where there have been incredibly serious injuries uh-huh. and, you know, people have had to be medevaced out. But we really wreckied our runs. And um, that was one thing that I was adamant about, that the runs were wreckied. Uh-huh. That, you know, we didn't have any surprises. And also, you know, we did have to be a bit careful. I mean, kidnappings did take place. You know, there is a level of vulnerability to, you know, young women running in the bush in shorts. <laughs> yeah. Was there a whistles or a hash horn or any of that or was it all world? Yeah, yeah, we did. And um, it wasn't long after that we were, we were given a hash horn. I think the guys probably decided that we better have a hash horn. Uh-huh. So we had whistles, we had hash horns. We always took a little bit of money in case we got lost. Usually jeepneys running up and down dusty roads. And, you know, if you got lost, you could always hail one of them and uh, ask for help <laughs> on a few occasions. 
And how did the t-shirts work for being handed out and worn on the run? How did you work that? You get a t-shirt made and then what? Yeah. And then we would normally, I think what I did was I charged for the evening and that included the T-shirt and the dinner, which, you know, was like pennies and the beer. So it was like a job lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It might have been, I don't know, $5 and you got a T-shirt, a dinner out, (laughs) a beer. Did they run in the new clean T-shirt or did they run in an old hash where people wearing hash T-shirts on the run? Do either. Some ran in it and some would change into it. Often I think we changed into it after the run. So we'd be going to a restaurant, we'd be in a clean T-shirt. We'd all have the same T-shirt. So it's obviously we're sort of a club. Yeah. This is great to go through these details and kind of fudging some of the details from memory. That's okay too, but they seem pretty crisp in your memory. And it's great to get this story in those early eighties that there weren't that many other women hashes around the world, but there were those international events. Did your group, the Manila women, travel to other hashes as a group at all? No, I would say they didn't. Uh, Maybe a couple might have, when they'd gone back to England, might have run on, you know, one of the mixed hashes there. Our group, I would say, probably pretty well didn't at that time. And even I didn't. We all had R&R from the Philippines because at that time it was considered a hardship posting. You know, most people were sent out to somewhere else at some stage, you know, Singapore, Australia, wherever. We didn't, I don't think we did really. We were in our own little world. Did um, you get visitors? Did, did people drop in and come on yeah. the lady on the women's hash? Yeah, they did. They did. They, you know, the guys, especially the foreign, <laughs> foreign guys, you know, they turn up at the men's hash and, and the guys would be going, oh, we're not going there. The girls are going there tonight or whatever. And they go, oh, girls. <laughs> and so the next week we'd find they, they're in our hatch and they'd go, oh, I heard your hatch is great fun. <laughs> and we'd, of course, make such a fuss of them because we'd want to keep them. Mm. <laughs> Do you know of any uh, any of your colleagues then from those early days that stayed hashing for the 40 years? Um, Are there some you can name that may have become lifelong hashers from that experience? I can't think of any off the top of my head who did. So a couple of girls went to the Middle East to that, and I think that was just too impossible. Uh, some stayed in Manila and hashed for years. I think. It was probably one of those hashes that, you know, if you left and you went somewhere else, it was probably a bit difficult to replicate. Right, Um, yeah. It was a sign of the times in in many ways. I guess if you were going to go and hash from ours, you you probably would have had to have gone and run, found a mixed hash somewhere, and ours really wasn't that, you know, was very much a a lady's hash. Yeah. My experience, there are a lot of expats who it's a magical time, when they get a great hash and a first posting and anywhere they go, it's hard not to compare it to that when it, when everything's clicking too. So there are some people drop out and say, Oh, I don't hash anymore. It's not like it used to be, even though it could be, but yeah. What about the kids? Was there ever a kids along? Did you do any events where the families were involved? No, not really. I suppose the group were too young to have children of running age. Mm, uh-huh. So we never really did that. It stayed very much a, an adult thing. 
Yeah. 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 I suppose the other thing that I could add was that the fellow that lived opposite uh, me in uh, Dasmarinius in the village was one of the lead lawyers of President Marcos at the time. Wow. And I guess in a way, so he became a mate. Because I had a dog called Amelda, not thinking terribly clearly. One of my <laughs> Swedish friends said to me, you know, I had a guard dog and, and she said, why don't you name her Amelda? That's a nice name. And, of course, I wasn't thinking that President Marcus's wife was called Amelda. And then when the Melda jumped the fence one day and got out and I'm screaming down the road to try to get her, he came out and said, anyone who's got the audacity to name their dog Amelda, I just have to meet. and and I said to him oh I said um oh I said my partner said she was the first lady of the house so we should name her Imelda and he thought that was great (laughs) and um so from then on after he sort of became another protector Mm -hmm. and if he knew I was in the house late at night alone he would phone me and ask if everything was all right and so when we had all the girls there as well we had another sort of like safe environment with security guards here's security guards yeah so it was a very much a place of you know if you if you had people looking after you you really did have people looking after you Mm -hmm. out for you wow yeah this is a great snapshot and discussion of expat life from 40 years ago too that's great let me just bookend this maybe for our next episode where did you go four years later where was your next posting so i went back to australia and and what was your next hashing experience then it wasn't until years later i went back to australia for a year i got married and went and lived in England. And I didn't hash in England. It was, again, you know, I was in London most of the time and it was just not my scene. Years later, I lived in New Zealand for four years. And again, I was really tempted to join the hash there. But, you know, a a hash group just has to click. Mm -hmm. And just some of the incidences that I sort of came across there I just thought this is not my group either Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I came back to Sydney and I found the hash again and you know it's great fun and we do lots of fun things I mean and I think for me that's what the hash really was in the first instance you know we've been to lots of inter hashes we we go to the Mekong hash every few years and Mm -hmm. have done for more than 20 years I do lots of things with the, the, the men's hash going away we have a Thursday night hash and a northern beaches hash where which is just once a month and again that it's as you said before you know it's it's the group they're my people sort of what year was that that you got into sydney and started hashing again oh boy you know that is so probably going back to somewhere in the 1990s okay you're a good storyteller and that's going to be really good let me ask you is the ra always right um no <laughs> okay well you considered it for a second okay you don't get too many no's we get i don't know if people are afraid but uh, most of the answers are are yes but we'll take that no okay <laughs> on 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 I want to thank Maid Marian for coming on the podcast to tell us the founding story and early history of 1980s founded women's hash of manila This is the On On Podcast. Hasher voices, hasher stories, hasher history. New episodes every week. Till next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, 
Here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, Coming for to carry me 